Hola, 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 amigos. You might think I'm a little. <laughs> My ass is dragging. I know, Murph, you. This last week, I think between the two of us, we probably put on how many miles in the air? I'd say I put on 5,000 miles at least. Yeah, I, I, well, I went to San Francisco and then we went into Alabama and then back to Orlando. It was a full week. Yeah. And and from Murph, you know, just put a little Southern twang on here. Hola, y'all. Hola, y'all. So, hey, guys, welcome back. This is going to be episode 96. It's going to be a fun one because this is going to be a follow-up to Kevin Holtry. We'll talk about that in just a second. But, hey, before we get started, it's Murph and Morgan again. Thanks for joining us. Just some quick housekeeping. Head on over to Apple and Spotify. Hit those five stars. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate it. We really do. Some folks, you know, we get it. This is not your flavor. This is not, you know, your jam. That's okay. Just leave us some constructive feedback. Uh, we're, we're open to it, and we make changes based upon that. Also, head on over to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com, for all of the things uh, that you can follow up on, like pictures and books, um, especially for Marines. If you're a Marine out there, lots of pictures. Makes it easy for you. I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Come on now. Follow us on that thing they call social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter. Game of Crimes podcast on Facebook and the Instagram, but where you got to be, you got to be over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes Murph. We have got uh, this one. We're going to be recording this. Uh, Rambo First Blood was the winner of this month's poll, Sylvester Stallone month. So we will be talking about Rambo. That's First a little surprising, Blood. I got to tell you. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you what. And I actually have. Um, just what we have some insights, but one of the insights I have is um, I've got a book called the top 100, basically thrillers. It was put together by the international thriller writer. So it's like each chapter is devoted to a se separate book. Mm -hmm. First blood was one of the books they devoted a chapter to talking about it. There's a lot of things about the way the book was originally written versus what was in the movie. We'll get into that as well. So you'll uh -huh. only find it right here on game of crimes. We're doing That's some neat right. stuff with nine one one, you know, are they, they lying? Are they telling the truth? What's going on there? Just a bunch of good stuff. So head on over to patreon.com slash game of crimes. Actually, Murph, we got quite a good, quite a bit of feedback on our Waco. Um, we, 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 we looked, we reviewed the Waco, uh, the Netflix series. And so we got a lot of good feedback on that. Excellent. Excellent. And that, I mean, that was an idea from one of our listeners. So see, we really do pay attention to what you I believe say. it was Lori Campbell. We blamed Lori Campbell, didn't we? I believe so. I think okay. Sure. Yeah, well, and if that's not the name, that's your name now. Anyway, just a quick, quick <laughs> disclaimer. Uh, hey, this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the story seriously, but... You know us. We're going to have some fun and not take ourselves serious at all. And one of the ways we don't take ourselves seriously is you got to head on over to Game of Crimes Fans, hosted by our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato. Just answer a couple questions. If you are deemed worthy, just even slightly worthy, above just slightly worthy of entry him below you're going to be let into the inner sanctum i mean we're approaching i think 900 folks in the group now maybe more uh, by the time this comes out so hey guys head on over a lot of good stuff happens behind there but just just do it just come on over and uh, get inside with us that is a very fun group of people i mean even if you don't like the podcast there's some funny people there in the, in the fan club so give us a shot over there yes and speaking of giving a shot i'm going to give you a shot murph i'm going to ask you do you know what time it is I'm about to run out of coffee here. Is it coffee time? No, I know what time it is. It's time for Small Town Police Blotter. Okay, it's going to be a big one here today. <laughs> this is this is a good one. All right. All right. In New Jersey. In New Jersey. A New Jersey man riding a motorcycle. He had a license plate on there. I'll tell you what it said in a minute. He led Florida cops on a high-speed chase that ended 
with the suspect crashing his ride. Police say Caleb Concepcion, 26, was spotted Sunday evening operating a motorcycle that had the fake New Jersey tag. When a Clearwater Police Department officer approached Concepcion on foot at a red light, the Garden State resident looked over at me and restarted the bike, and boom, he took off, ignored the orders of stop police, which you're not going to catch a guy on a motorcycle when you're on foot. So, But moments after fleeing, Concepcion was involved in a motorcycle crash, uh, so karma intervened. Yes. Uh, it, was a, it was a citizen pit maneuver, apparently. Uh, he was transported to the hospital. Um, he was advised of his rights. He worked in car sales. He chose to remain silent. But the funny part was, guess what the tag was? A fake but personalized tag. It was a tag called Bend Over. Oh, what an idiot. <laughs> and, the, and the best thing, he is a fugitive uh, with on a parole violation out of New Jersey. So oh, he's going to be headed back home. Yeah, uh, yeah, Not only an idiot, but a moron on top of that. And you did that in Florida? Florida. Yeah, we'll, take, we'll take your butts out down here. <laughs> hey, hold that thought, because that's going to come into play into our next uh, story. Uh-oh. This is Alaska. I decided to go north for a couple stories. Uh, right. An Alaska woman... Well, I'm going to hold on to that. She set a record. Fairbanks police, by the way, Fairbanks population three thousand or thirty-two thousand five hundred and fifteen. Salute! Everybody's heard of Fairbanks, but didn't know it was that small. Anchorage is the one that gets all the attention. Mm-hmm. They were dispatched last month to an adult novelty store after a clerk called nine one one Murph. That's nine one one, not nine eleven, to report that a couple sought to purchase merchandise with a counterfeit one hundred dollar bill. Before cops could get to the Castle Megastore in Fairbanks, the suspect, Chelsea Sperry, left the business with a large wad of cash provided by her boyfriend, who waited for police to arrive. Shortly after Sperry drove away from the business, she was pulled over by police who had given, been given her a description. When a check revealed that Sperry was driving with a suspended license, she was arrested and transported to the Fairbanks Correctional Center. Now, Murph, when you go to jail, mm-hmm. they normally, you know, check you out, right? Search you. Search you, yeah. Yep. At the Uh-oh. jail, <laughs> at the jail, a corrections officer observed Sperry making furtive movements toward her vagina, according to a criminal complaint. She was then put through a body scan, which revealed she had items concealed in her vagina or anus. You better get a pencil out and start take here. Oh. Oh. <laughs> a, no, 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 to start making a list. A female's correction officer subsequently removed a wad of cash and drugs from inside Sperry. The haul included six $100 bills, three $50 bills, seven $20 bills, all of which were counterfeit. The 890 in funny money, however, was supplemented by a genuine $10 bill that was discovered in Sperry's anus. <laughs> Sperry's vagina, investigators noted. Also held two baggies of methamphetamine, a baggie containing seven morphine sulfate pills, two baggies containing a brown tarry substance that tested positive for heroin. They also recovered a clear plastic baggie containing 40 smaller baggies that were similar in size to the one containing the meth and heroin. The smaller baggies, the complainant notes, are commonly used for the distribution of smaller amounts of heroin and methamphetamine. I'm running out of air. <laughs> Where the hell was the kitchen sink? <laughs> Good Lord. And for how, why did I know there was going to be meth involved in this? <laughs> Kids... I'm sorry, kids. Rule number one, what do we say? No, don't do math. Oh, my God. And all I can think of is Kevin Holtry's episode where he talked about the prison wallet. Well, in this prison <laughs> wallet was. That is the... Uh, dude, I've, I've seen stuff come out of people. You know, we, this is the most I've ever heard. I could, you can't get that in two grocery store bags. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got... You know, and I got a new term for that, too, after we heard about the prison wallet. One of our granddaughters calls it the front butt and the back butt. 
Okay. There you go. <laughs> when she was very, very little. Uh, okay, now we're still staying in Alaska. Okay. Hey, Murph, you know, politics aside, but politics, you know, will drive certain behaviors. And sometimes people think that a certain party might take away their rights, Second Amendment mm-hmm. rights. They got, you start buying a lot of guns, right? So mm-hmm. gun sales are up. You know, I remember when ammo sales. So apparently it hit Anchorage, Alaska really hard. A 61-year-old man is facing a federal felony charge involved with the attempted stick-up of an Alaska bank. They allege that Alan Bronson Rice walked into a key bank branch and removed a hammer from a small backpack. He placed the tool on the counter and asked, they asked what he's going to do with the hammer after motioning that he would strike the teller with the hammer. Rice announced, I need your money. Give me your hundreds and fifties. I'm going to hit you with this hammer. Hurry up. So they handed him ten or $1,039. He exited the bank. He was arrested several blocks. Cop found him sitting on a bench. A search of Rice's backpack th- turned up a hammer and money with a tracking device. So uh, they asked if he wanted to make a statement uh, when he was in custody. The FBI came in and interviewed him. Yes, he said he wanted to be released so that he could leave the country to serve his God. Okay. Yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah, and I don't think that's a, an argument that a judge is going to... Grant. <laughs> Times are tough up there. Couldn't get your hands on a gun, got a hammer. Uh, well, we've had several instances where people got hammered. So, uh, well, I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to get hit by a hammer, but no, no, I, would, no. I don't think I'd rob a bank with one either. Just thank God uh, the prior convict wasn't holding on to a hammer. Oh, that would have been terrible. Okay, Murph. But well, probably plenty of room for it. Well, hey, let's talk about this one because last week, uh, probably the largest collection of comments I think we've gotten on an episode in a long time. And even the even the Onion Field, Blue South, you know, the mm-hmm. people were just, it, this was a tough episode. And yes, it was. Oh, man. It still is for me today. And But the great thing about it was Kevin's healing. He's doing better. Well, he's doing better because of our next guest. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool, Murph. I mean, um, we've got, this is like with you and um, when we talked to your partner, Mm-hmm. Uh, another Kevin, right? Yeah, Kevin Stevens. Yeah. So we had Kevin Holtry, Kevin Stevens. Now we got Brian Holland. So Brian was there that day with him. I mean, I think it's interesting when you listen to this episode play out to hear the interaction uh, you know, between them. They still give each other a lot of crap and a lot of grief. But mm-hmm. that day, I mean, to think about if you guys want to know how important training is, that day training kicked in. Oh, my gosh. And and being in shape. I mean, these are two, Kevin and, and today's guest, Brian Holland, are two studs. You know, these are big boys. These, they're, uh, what, they 6'3", 6'4", 6'2", 245. And with their gear on, you're going to hear Brian talking about how heavy they were. And he's taking Kevin and carrying him back into the Bearcat. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's almost like superhuman strength. But here's the cool thing about today's story. It's not a typical cop story. Brian's story is one of... Um, I don't want oh to say dragging goodness. himself out of the yeah. gutter, but bringing, you know, not, staying out of trouble while he was a young man. And then look at the good he's doing now. I was just so proud of these guys. His backstory is amazing. And just the fact that he got to where he was. But I'll tell you what you got to do is you got to listen mm-hmm. on his first day at college when he's walking into a classroom and he's got the jacket on that his mom gave him. <laughs> that, that about had me falling. You just got We're not going to tell you. You're just going to have to listen. But that will tell yep. you the environment Brian grew up in and everything that he overcame. Plus, uh, Brian got to meet a somewhat of a celebrity, somebody who was as tall as he was. And <laughs> I think we'll I think we'll save that because he had an observation about the handshake. The handshake says it all. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> and, and you may hear some uh, some odd noises in the background towards the end of the interview. <laughs> Just go with it. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this we we allow everybody to come on, and yeah, this you're going to wonder what the hell that is. Brian's going to let you know what the hell that is. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, Mark, just, but, it's true honor to have these guys on here. Oh yeah, uh, Brian. I mean, uh, Kevin last week, and then Brian this week. So thank you guys very much, right here at the beginning. And thank the people of Boise. You guys took care of these guys um, and took care of Kevin definitely. So, but we're not going to hear about this unless I ask you, Murph. Yes. Are you ready to play the biggest? baddest, most dangerous, and prison wallet-friendly game of all <laughs> the game of crimes. Hey, everybody, just like last week, get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. <laughs> we got some fantastic guests coming on here. Bring on Brian. Um, Brian, we're going to get into stuff, but you were just saying stuff. We, we guys, we're kind of jumping forward for a second. But um, by the way, welcome to Game of Crimes. But Brian, you were talking about we were going to do this tomorrow on Saturday. We're recording this on a Friday, but you guys got a notice. You're all attending a, another police officer funeral right across the border in Oregon, and that one sounded bad. W- what were the details on that? Yeah, without I guess uh, going too deep in the woods on it. Um, the information we got is a pretty known gang member uh, in Nyssa, Oregon, just over the border uh, between uh, Idaho and, and Oregon. Um, got into a reserve officer, I believe. Uh, got into a pursuit uh, with this known known gang member. <clears throat> uh, basically, the gang member pulled into a residence uh, and ambushed the officer. Uh, officer took a round, which uh kind of incapacitated him and then from the information i received uh that person then executed the officer um so as a show of you know obviously that's what we do in this area i think most cops do where uh funeral was tomorrow about the time we were going to do the interview uh so uh you know we're going to dress in our class a's and and go pay tribute to this officer left some kids behind and you know gave his life Reserve Reserve Corporal Joseph Johnson into watch April 15th, 2023. That's the I just pulling up on the ODMP. Yeah. Uh, Mm. 43 years old. Um, He survived by his wife and two children. Yep. Wow. Pretty pretty sad. And that's, you know, that's that you had mentioned that before we started the recording here that that is um, that's common practice amongst the law enforcement community within the culture that you show respect to other police officers killed in the line of duty and you really show respect to their family. So um, we just want to say thank you for rescheduling with us because that's more important than anything we're yeah, doing absolutely. here. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate you guys uh, doing that. It's what you're doing is important too. So, Well, that's, I guess we should tell them who we're talking to, huh? Well, yeah, we kind of, so Brian Holland. Okay. Welcome. <laughs> now let's get, <laughs> no, uh, Hey, look, uh, so this is, this is a twofer. Um, we had, um, Kevin, as we, he talked about, not the half tree, but the whole tree. That's how he, that's how he said his pronounced his last <laughs> he's, name. He's full Kevin of them. I, like, I, like <laughs> I, I thought Kevin's sultry was better. That's sultry. what I call Kevin's Kevin sultry. Yeah. But hey, <laughs> sultry. Well, you got, you got that Barry White kind of deep voice here going on. Hey, ladies. <laughs> that's all, that's all I got going for me. 
Oh, well, see that. I tell you what, man. See, if you were, if we were on a raid team, you'd be the doorman because with that voice, I, if you yelled "cops, hands up," I'd have cops. shit my pants and put my hands up. <laughs> that's uh, you know, that's it's the ladies, man. <laughs> I'm getting a one nine hundred number with your voice on it, man. I'm going to start. Yeah, I'm going to do a one nine hundred number with I, you. I retired twenty months, so hook me up. I need something to do. Okay, man. Oh, we we got you. Okay, ladies, let us know your uh, let us know what you want to hear from Brian, the voice. I'd be happy to. <laughs> hey, it could be like you know people. The people hire these uh, uh, stars, superstars, to to create videos that they send in saying happy birthday or whatever. Or you could be like T.J. Yeah. Webb. He, we had him on. He was uh, from uh, Connecticut. He got shot six times, but he got mistaken for a stripper. He showed up. <laughs> These six Russian call. girls, stripper, stripper. <laughs> and they start trying to undress him. That's not a, that's not a bad day at work. <laughs> that's when you go home with a smile on your face. Yeah, absolutely. Dear Captain, no one was no no one was more surprised than me. All right. All right. Well, hey, Brian, Well, let's, let's get into this thing of ours. Because what, what I was telling people, this is a twofer. We had Kevin on. So he's going to be on the episode right before this, episode 95. You're going to be episode 96. And one of the unique things, we kind of did this once before. Murph and his partner, Kevin Stevens, who we uh, uh, did an episode with, um, his partner was pretty badly wounded. Their informant was killed. And that was the first time Murph and him had talked about it. And so this is the first time that we've done a separate episodes, but this is the, only the second time we've brought on the people actually involved in the shooting, you know, in the event. So I yeah. just wanted people to understand the stage. So Brian was there that day. You're one, you're, you're one of the guys that engaged. Um, but before we get into that, as we always do, thing of ours, you know, Brian, how did you get involved in this thing of ours, this profession we called law enforcement? Were you like Brian? What Brian said was, I mean, what, um, Kevin said was that uh, he was, you know, running around in his thong, almost naked on campus and got stopped by the campus cuffs. Was that you too? Is that how you got involved in law enforcement or do you have a story? No, mine's, uh, mine's not as extravagant as Kevin's. He's, uh, he's quite the, uh, the adventurer. Uh, no, I, I never wanted to be, never wanted to be a cop. Um, I hate to say I kind of grew up in a, um, atmosphere where, you know, they just weren't um, part of our fabric, uh, if, if that makes sense. Um, and so I, I, I didn't. I, but when I think back, I really had some pretty good contacts with the cops when I was being a little knucklehead in Southern California. Um, some people actually saw some uh, something in, in me uh, and kind of I remember a couple good little pep talks from some officers. In the, and then that kind of came to fruition you know, way later. So we're at in SoCal, uh, Coachella Valley, uh, Palm De or Palm Springs area. Um, grew up in, uh, we kind of bounced back when I was young, Long Beach. Uh, I have family in Long Beach. And then when I was a baby, we, uh, we pushed back out to North Palm Springs. Um, and so I kind of grew up in, in that desert area, Inland Empire. Um, and there's a little neighborhood there called the North End, uh, Gateway Street. And that's grew up there for the first little part of my life and then moved over uh, just before junior high to a more kind of a mixed neighborhood. Uh, a lot of Filipino, Mexican, black. Uh, it's kind of diverse. Yeah, I've been out to Palm Springs before, man. There's a lot of uh, Hollywood legends and, you know, st stories about, you know, all the stuff that went on out there in Palm Springs. There's some pretty neat places. Did you ever see anybody famous out there? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's downtown. You get a lot of that Palm Canyon drive. Um, I think, uh, I remember my 
I think I was told, I may be wrong, but my great grandmother was like the maid for either Liberace or Elvis or something like that up in the cove. But uh, <laughs> Elvis. <laughs> and then they used to hire us, a couple of us knuckleheads to park cars for like the um, the big tennis tournaments and all that. And I used to steal change out of the expensive Did you ever go cars. for a drive in one of them cars that was a little bit longer oh, than the, what it took you to get to the parking yeah, lot? Yeah, that was kind of par for the course. Uh, they always had good change uh, change ashtrays, so you kind of make some side money doing that stuff. <laughs> Listen to you. You little <laughs> Statue of limitations have run out now. He's good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it was what it was. Pocket change. So what was the funnest car you got to park? Yeah, I honestly, I cannot remember. I, um, it, it, there were some pretty old ones, but, uh, it was, it, it, it was so long ago. I'm finding that my, my, my football days are starting to catch up with me. So my memory gets jarred. So you sound like a politician on Washington, you know, Capitol Hill. Senator, I don't recall. <laughs> I can't the, recall that. What I throw. That's, that's my court <laughs> so, testimony. So you said no you had recollection, a, your honor. No recollection. So you said you had a couple run-ins. Uh, did that involve handcuffs and uh, maybe a juvenile record? Uh, no. You know what? I always avoided uh, juvie. Uh, thank God, because uh, in Southern California, well, I think in California in general, uh, the California Youth Authority was a very uh, harrowing thing to think about. And I'd had many uh, family who went through the CYA, um, and that pretty much starts your gang career uh and the rest of your life so uh had a couple run-ins um you know entered a couple places i shouldn't have entered took things i shouldn't have took uh and uh and and i grew up in a neighborhood that that had uh gang issues so um i was fortunate that sports was a big part uh uh, of my life, I had some family members who were deep seated in uh, in the gang and you know selling crack and things like that. Which ones? Uh, which ones? Was what family? Which kind of which gangs? Oh, uh, Crip, uh, Crip gang, uh, gang set um, in North Palm Springs, um, uh, a Gateway Crip, and and that was, you know, we we as a youngster, you're you're kind of set by how that neighborhood acts not that i was anything to talk about by any kind of gang standards but but you 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 wore things that were acceptable you know otherwise my cousins would be kicking my ass for you know wearing some type of red or something um it kind of ran how you conducted your life in southern california that's kind of the norm there honestly um and it's just gotten worse so um but you know as soon as the football touched my hand it kind of I had some opportunities. Well, I want to call out something early on because we're going to talk about it later. It factors into a couple of the stories. But when when you say Crips and Bloods, that's that's generally not open to anybody. You have to be a specific race to join. And you kind of, I mean, you're very light-skinned, right? So Yeah, I it, my, my mother's white. My father's uh, very black. Um, originally, my father's family comes from Texas, East Texas, from a, a slave um, uh slave plantation Holland's quarters and it, it, at emancipation they turned the uh the slave quarters over to uh my father's family um so i have that rich oh, history wow. and then my mother's side is basically i think german out of like the ohio area um so you know color has always been a, a a weird issue uh as a as a half black half white uh person you know you kind of are 
lost when you're young. Uh, I was, I grew up in a black neighborhood around a lot of my black relatives. Uh, so I had that culture. Um, but you, you get, there, there's a lot of weirdness that happens in the black community where, you know, light skin against dark skin. You know, I got, I got hell because I didn't need a Jerry curl. My hair curled up naturally, you know, um, I was light skin <laughs> with light eyes, you know, so I was a pretty boy. And so you get kind of, you know, uh, pushed around for that, but yet, you know, a nice white girl wouldn't, wouldn't date me because I was black, you know, so you kind of had this weird, uh, middle ground that you were in. You're kind of like what they called in purgatory. I mean, you're just like, um, you're just hanging out there. It's like, because the reason I asked that is uh, from a gang standpoint, did that create issues for you to where, were you not black enough to be in the gang or were you too white? Or I mean, were they trying to recruit you regardless? No, uh, um, the color thing never was an issue in regards to gang stuff. And like I said, I wasn't, I was an outsider. You know, I had, I had older cousins that looked out for me and some of the guys in our generation where, you, you, you dabbled, but you weren't, we just weren't, that wasn't our thing. You know, sports was our thing. And they, and they, it's a, it's a funny phenomenon, um, that I had these group of cousins, uh, older cousins who, I mean, were top crack sales and, you know, just gang members and whatnot, but they really created this shield around us, uh, a, a group of us that allowed us to explore, sports and the possibility of, of going beyond the Valley. So, um, wow. so, so color wasn't an issue. Uh, it was more of, it was more of just the, the total culture, uh, of, you know, where do you fit in? You know? Yeah. I've, I've got a question for you. Um, Brian, uh, we came across a photograph and I'm going to show it to you here. Oh, for our listeners, we actually day? can see each other on video, but we we don't record video. We only record the audio. And I just want to see if you could explain what this picture is here. Does that look familiar? Yes. Who is that guy in the tie? <laughs> yeah, come on, man. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, past president Barack Obama, uh, and a former lieutenant of of mine on the SWAT team, and. Uh, me being caught making a a, a pretty uh that is <laughs> a, a weird meme. Face. that should be a freaking meme right there like <laughs> i'm involved in what now uh, well you, you I, know, I think funny. i heard a little bit of a story behind this picture it's funny i even have uh one of my kids made a little meme like i guess you can move the mouth on these apps and made a whole yeah. song to that yeah. thing like it's just uh it's become a family <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, joke. <laughs> I, uh, I let's hear the somewhere. story behind this. I, I, uh, let's hear the I, story. So, how did you? How did you end up in front of President Obama? Well, I'll, and I know Kevin will will embellish anything, but uh, we we nah. were. I was on the SWAT team. We were all me, Kevin, all of us were on the SWAT team. He came down. He was. Uh, this was his presidential bid, and he was in Boise, and uh, we did the dignitary protection for him. Uh, and so I was. Uh, in that capacity where we inside the, uh, the arena, uh, keeping an eye working with secret service. And, um, he, they wanted to meet, you know, do who wants to, you know, that you were assigned to go meet him. Um, I, I, I had nothing against the guy. I didn't like his policies, but you know, it, it's, he was going to be 
first black president, kind of cool. And so they come in and they go, Hey, we want to take pictures. So it was me and, you know, Lieutenant, uh, to take pictures. And, uh, he shook my hand and I, I was flabbergasted on the, it was the limpest, daintiest shake <laughs> I've ever experienced and it just disappointed me and i i don't think that picture coincides with that but kevin and everybody else will tell you that probably was right after i shook his hand and i just gave the stankest <laughs> face that i could give well i told kevin i said to after he explained the picture to us i, I told him i said that, that to me it looks like you're looking at whoever's taking the picture going you motherfuckers you just set me up <laughs> it, it was uh <laughs> I, I was disappointed. I have to say, my my man's handshake is not uh, anything to be envied of. So, um, so that that face may be an indication of that. But you 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 were about the same height as him, right? I mean, he's he's kind of tall though, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm about I'm I, I'm about six two. I think he was about close to that. Yeah, he's he he's a. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's smooth smooth cat, but um, that handshake just didn't do it for me. So. Didn't do it for you. No, no. <laughs> All I can see is Eddie Murphy going, that's not how a brother does it. Come in. You know, Kevin Hart, you know. It was, yeah, it was, it was just one of those experiences that it goes down as a lifetime experience. That, and then it just happened to get caught. Uh, well, an expression the got perfect caught. Timing the perfect timing on the photo. Timing. It was amazing. <laughs> You yeah. gotta love it, man. That's <laughs> going with the episode, brother. <laughs> hey, what, you mentioned sports. What sports were you playing? I'm guessing football. Yeah, football was my thing. Um, you know, it's funny. I didn't. Uh, I, I got to give credit to our our community. Um, our community center was run by my uncle, and uh, I, I never I never played any juvenile like football it was all you played pickup basketball and you know didn't you didn't leave without a scratch or a black eye um and then and then i yeah, was big, called it wasn't pickup it was called combat it was it's <laughs> combat but and you can't you can't complain or you got your ass whooped even more so uh so i grew up that way and those kind of deals nothing organized what i did get into just kind of inadvertently was uh bmx i was a i was a expert bmx racer and and had and was going to go pro uh and then in ninth grade um just before ninth grade i got a football in my hand decided to play football and never looked back and uh and i got yeah i worked that into a, a football scholarship uh played here at idaho state university uh i was a linebacker uh i wish i would have stayed with baseball uh, i was always told i was a better baseball player than than football so you know who knows what would have happened but uh but i had pretty good Pretty good football career. So, Hey guys, Brian, everybody, hold on to that thought. We're going to be right back. First, though, we want to welcome back one of our favorite sponsors, and we'll tell you why. Game of Crimes is brought to you by BetterHelp. Now, you know, as Murph, as you and I talk, we both covered the country last week, right? We spend a lot of time in one week. We spend a lot of time with other people, you know, but some on ourselves. So the question is, how do you balance the two? I mean, we have been, we both were coast to coast last week. Right. You know, and it's so easy to get up, ca get caught up in what everybody else needs from you, and you kind of lose time for yourself. You know, it's uh, it, it causes burnout. You just give all your time to someone else, and you need to take that time to to catch up a little bit, get your thoughts back together, and this is a great way to do it. 
Yeah, and as we've always said, this is about having extra tools, having those tools in your toolkit to find more balance so you can keep supporting others so you don't get left behind. Now, look, if anybody benefits from therapy, you know, it's people who've been through traumatic experiences, but not mm -hmm. even that. But look, just go back to our episode with Kevin Holtry. Can you imagine the support, Murph? We, we talk about this a lot, the need for all first responders to get this, but even people in regular life, you can't just, we've learned from over time, you cannot bottle this stuff in. You got to get it out. You got to work with somebody who can help you. Absolutely. And, and by no means are we saying you have to go through a traumatic experience. Sometimes life just gets you down. It just kind of wears you down. And you feel like you got the world on your shoulders. The nice thing about BetterHelp, everything is done entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. So you can get on there when you have the time to do it, not around someone else's schedule. It's as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire. They'll match you with a licensed therapist. And you know what? If you're not real comfortable with the therapist you get, you can change at any time at no extra charge. Well, I can't switch hosts, so I'm going to have to stick with you, Murph. So <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, guys. But hey, guys, you need to find out more. So find more balance with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash GOC today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GOC. All right, let's get back to Brian. Idaho nice. State is in Moscow, right? No, no, it's in Pocatello on the east side of the okay, state. Okay, what's what's the university? Moscow has a U of I. Oh, university. Okay, mm -hmm. that's right. Then there's yeah. Boise, obviously, in Boise. Okay, yep, that's yep. it. All right. Um, so, and so you go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say you got a scholarship there. Yeah, yeah. So I, to, um, I had a. <laughs> this is kind of a funny part of my life. Um, I, I didn't get the recruit. I, you know, I had dreams to go to, to the pack at the time. I was the Pac-10. You know, everybody. I had cousins that went to University of Oregon and USC, and so that was my goal. You know, is make it big time. Well, I had, I think I had one Division One offer out of high school, and it was the Naval Academy. And my mother was just absolutely ecstatic. Uh, got all the stuff you got to get. I guess like senator, you know, signatures, and you know. All, all kinds of stuff. And she damn near beat the hell out of me when I said, nah, I'm going to go to the junior college and try to get into the Pac-10. <laughs> so she, uh, after whooping me upside the head and kicking me out of the house, I, uh, I, I chose my path and went to a junior college there in, uh, in the desert. And then from there, got a got a scholarship, got a couple scholarships offers, and and chose Idaho State. Yeah, so you turned down the Naval Academy? I did, I did. They wanted me wow. to play fullback. I didn't, I didn't want to play fullback. Oh, who I'm, gives I'm, a shit? It's I, the Naval Academy. You, you sound like my mother. She she let me have it. I believe me. I was I, <laughs> I caught hell for that. But uh, you know, I was a I was a I was a little. You know, I was a little shit stick and, and thought I knew what I was going to do. And, uh, you know, uh, I made it work, but we it, all it, it, it damn sure wasn't the Naval Academy, that's for sure. Yeah. You know what? We all were back then. We thought we knew what was best for us. We didn't know yep. Jack. Yeah. She, she's uh, she <laughs> Now, knew. was Idaho State, mm -hmm. was Idaho State University the Bengals? Yes. And you went there in 92, 93, that, that area? Yeah. Yeah. Played linebacker. Yeah, I see something about an all-time roster, and it has your name listed on there. On the all-time roster, it says G-L. What is the all-time roster for G-L? Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked at that. It's got you on there. It's got uh, Brian, or it's got, yeah, it's got you on there for 92-93. Uh, yeah, I wonder if that's have, all the linebackers or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, uh, I've never looked at it. Um, I, 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 yeah, I started both years I was there. and. Uh, Led and I was top, 
top three in tackles for, I mean, not, not tooting my horn too much, but I, I enjoyed playing linebacker. I, I very much enjoyed it uh, and, and made people pay for it. So that was my goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's going to come in helpful later, I think, in your career. So after you got out of college, what'd you want to do? So that's another funny story. Um, again, uh, police was never in the uh, in the books for me. Um, what I did uh, take notice of is when I got into the junior college, I, I had some people kind of explore the probation and parole route with me. Um I, I wanted to be active in kids' lives. I wanted to do something with kids. I thought uh, probation and parole was another avenue, I thought, and I, I thought that would be the end of it for me. Um, and so Idaho State didn't have anything. I thought about just going criminal justice, see where I land after that, and they didn't have a criminal justice. So I went into social work uh, with, a, I think, a minor or an emphasis in criminal justice um, and uh, learned a lot more about probation and parole. And then coming up, you know, all my uncles, uh, you know, cousins, father, you know, you name it, they all had probation officers, you know, and, and, and I just remember, uh, they kind of were a little more in depth, right. They, they kind of knew your grandmother, you know, they'd come in the house, some of them good ones would sit down, have coffee, you know, and, and get the lowdown on what, you know, what their offenders are doing. Uh, cause they have to, they got to do all those home visits and whatnot. So, um, I thought that to me was going to be the ultimate job. Um, and so after I graduated, uh, I took a social work job for a year, but Pocatello just was not, I, I had to get out of there. I just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore. It's, um, yeah, just, just wasn't, wasn't doing it for me. So, <clears throat> uh, I Why? Took a, God bless those people. I couldn't do it. Oh, what, what did not work for you? It's, it's just drab and cold and, uh, I, God, I just remember, <laughs> so I, obviously I come from Palm Springs, the desert, you know, in January, it's 70 degrees. Um, I don't own big jackets. I don't, no, I, I think I landed in Pocatello with a Raiders bomber jacket. Um, no, that was right before. So my mother gave me a, a big Carhartt type jacket, never had one before furry collar, uh, canvas outside, you know, just this thing was legit. <clears throat> so I was kind of pumped. I got there. It was negative 10 in Pocatello. I just came from 70 degrees. Um, I was, didn't know how to conduct myself, go to my first class and I'm wearing this big jacket with an LA Kings hat and I'm, walking the class nose hairs frozen never experienced this stuff and uh, i've told this story a bunch of times and i go into this class and i have the lapel up because i'm freezing and uh, my mother never told me where she got this jacket i'm looking around and people are just looking at me like i am crazy like the abominable snowman <clears throat> so i gotta try and find somebody to do a, this project it was immediately got to find a, a partner to do this project with and i'm looking around and nobody even wants to look at me and i'm like man I, this is something's going on something's weird well i take the jacket off and i've never seen the back side of the lapel it says tracy california penitentiary it was a penitentiary jacket <laughs> <laughs> and my mother got from her husband who was doing 32 years in prison for murder. And he, that's his gift to me to go to Pocatello. And so I, I can only imagine that that's what they saw. And I'm like some prison transfer that's going to college or something, you know, I don't know. 
Well, <laughs> no, no school release. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. But back up for a second. This was your father's jacket? Yeah, so my stepfather. Uh, my father left me when I was, uh, I, I think I was 12 for the second time. And we, our relationship is, is null and void. But um, my mother rekindled with a high school sweetheart. <clears throat> and um, and he was, uh, you know, in in the business, uh, in the narco business, and uh, ended up. Uh, I don't know all the details, but ended up killing a man on a, on a on a, a drug rip. Uh, the guy, if I'm not mistaken, tried to tried to take out his partner, so he killed him. They buried the body, uh, let it go. Somebody pillow talked. He gets done for murder. Uh, ultimately, ends up doing 32 years in prison uh, in California state prison. So, uh, but but he man, he, you had a lot of shit going against you growing up. It, it was uh, it was interesting. You know, uh, the the weird thing about it. Uh, I'm a spiritual guy. God works in some you know some some crazy ways. But um, he, I could never visit him because I'm I'm black. So me and my sister could never go see him in prison because he was he had gained the status. He basically was the leader of what they call the white car, the white gang uh, in. So that's the other thing. He's an Irish guy. So pure Irish. Um, and he's running the white prison gang in in Tracy, California uh, and pretty prominent, you know, uh, but I couldn't visit him, could never go see him just because there was, you know, there's that color, color issue. Uh, but he would call and he would write letters. Um, and so we never really knew him. And then about eight, nine years ago, um, he got, he actually got out, got pardoned, um, or got paroled, excuse me. <clears throat> and, uh, and we had a great relationship. I, that guy treated me more like a, uh, son and man, I could, I could ever imagine that my, my, you know, my, my real father did. So he just, he just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so we just had a oh, little, sorry to hear that. Yeah. A little funeral for him. So. Wow. <clears throat> so this is a, this is a very different uh, upbringing than uh, I can't think of anybody else that we've had on the show. Sherry <laughs> Foster is about as close as we come to, to somebody who was challenged with that upbringing Murph. Yeah. But the, uh, her, her mom didn't go to prison. No. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, it's, dang, uh, dude. So it, it sounds like you had all the cards stacked against you, but you came out on top. Yeah, you know, I thank God. I, I, uh, it, it had to. It, it was quite. So when I, I think you guys were kind of leading into what got me into police work. Um, when I got did juvenile probation in Canyon County here, in, in uh, just outside of Boise, uh, I, I started to see that law enforcement. Um, kind of aspect come out. I remember my grandfather telling me that I always had some knack to be around. Like cops always found me somehow in a positive light. Uh, he tells a story about us being uh, at the um, Colorado River and uh, they couldn't find me. I was lost. I, was, I must have been, I don't know, four years old or something like that. And, uh, and when they finally found me, I was, <laughs> I was surrounded and hanging out with a bunch of uh, California cops that were just hanging out at the river and I was just shooting the shit with them and they were just hanging on to me and thought I was the greatest kid in the world. And I mean, just little stuff, anecdotes like that just kind of now makes sense. But, uh, you know, I didn't know it in that interim. Um, but yeah, I just started to develop relationships with police. 
uh, got into state probation and parole. So now I'm carrying a gun, wearing a vest. And, uh, and I just saw myself just being more tactical, more police oriented minded. Uh, and finally got, you know, I had a good friend just tell me I was doing a lot of gang work. Um, had a good friend in the gang unit at Boise that said, you, you need to test with us. And, and so I was always worried about, you know, my upbringing and how that might affect me getting on. Well, how did it affect you getting on? What kind of questions, how did they, when they were talking about your background, obviously a lot of the stuff, your, your stepdad, your dad, those things had to come out. Um, how did you deal with that? You know, uh, obviously I I told them everything. It it was a, you know, it was a chance to take, um, um, and, uh, I, I, I always give credit to, uh, 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 retired officer, uh, Roger Bird, he was doing my, my polygraph and, uh, background, I think. And, uh, I told him all the stuff. I mean, from, you know, car thefts to, uh, you know, drive-by shootings and, you know, just stuff that I was, I saw the things that happened to me. Uh, and, uh, I sat there at the end of that polygraph and went, there is absolutely no way I'm getting this job. <laughs> and, uh, he, he <laughs> I'm went so out. screwed. Oh man. <laughs> He went out for a smoke break and uh, he said, had me come outside and I thought he was just going to break the bad news to me. And I remember his words. He said, uh, Brian, we would be honored to have you work at Boise Police. And, 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 and he put it all in context of how I, how I grew up <clears throat> and what I had be done and become from, you know, college graduate, the football stuff, the, uh, the successful probation parole career. Um, <clears throat> he, he, it, it was a blessing, you know, that, that, but that was the first hurdle. The second one was <clears throat> the, uh, the psyche vow. And, uh, this is, I always tell this funny story, but I go to the psyche vow and, and they have you do that 1600 question, you know, you know, multi they, multi they, Minnesota multiphasic personality yes, inventory. I yes, think it was yes. called the MMPI. Yes, and they, you know, they they ask you one question one way, they reverse it another way. I was I was seeing all the games. Would you, you know, like so I, to be a Would you like to be a baker or an auto mechanic? Would you like to be <laughs> exactly. a you know florist or a dog catcher? Yeah. yeah, people. Uh, I, the way I look at it is, uh, you know, people from the hood just don't understand that kind of. I didn't understand any of that. I was like. This, this is, they're trying to do me somehow. Anyway, I answered the questions and the psychologist comes out and she pulls me back and says, you know, Brian, based on your tests, I, I would have to diagnose you with PTSD. And, you know, I'm, I didn't know, I thought that was just a, a veteran, you know, war thing. I was like, I ain't been in a war. I'm, I'm not a veteran. Where does that come from? And she's like, your childhood was just... Uh, you you have to be suffering from PTSD, and I said, "Well, I need to. I, I'm the last phase of this job. You can't you can't do this to me, you know." So anyway, she she made me do all these extra tests uh, to make sure I'm not some crazy guy, and uh, it took a little bit. Like you know, they always show you these picture of like some young girl holding an apple and some guy with a hood is walking by her. She goes, what do you see? I go, she's, she's about to get jacked for the apple. I mean, and she goes, no, you have to see the good <laughs> in other. And I was like, it is what it is. You show me that's what I'm going to think. So she was great though. She, she, she really quantified uh, just some stuff. I mean, uh, the stuff that I, I'd seen from, you know, the police raided my, my father's house, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the bathtub as a kid, you know, I had, police running there doing narcotic searches and, you know, kicking in doors and all that kind of stuff. And uh, to see all that 
I, I get where she was coming from. Uh, it was a lot, lot to see and go through, but it, I felt like I formulated it into a, a good, um, model to be, uh, a pretty rounded police officer. And, and, and 20 years later, you know, this is 25 years later. Well, not to say anything, not nothing derogatory towards your family, but you grew up in a very rough environment, obviously. And the fact that you came out of it and have attained what you have, uh, but I'll be honest with you, I'm, I was a little hesitant to say this, given that picture, I saw it the same way you did. <laughs> He's getting ready to steal that apple and smack her down yeah, the ground. Exactly. About exactly. to jack that apple and <laughs> exactly. eat it. Maybe that's the only positive thing. An apple a day keeps the police away. Yeah, so what yeah. the hell is wrong with all of us then? <laughs> exactly. Well, and what I, the was the moral of that of story, is, though? What? It, the other part of it is it don't, don't, don't hold your apple out like that. Like, you know, prevent, prevent the crime, you know, don't put it out there and expect, you know, I, I hate to say it, but people got to prove their, their goodness. You know, we have to have faith, but you also got to be, yeah. you know, reasonable and people got to show Skeptical. and prove. Yeah. Well, what good can come out of a guy standing in a hood with a young girl? I mean, explain to me under what circumstance, what scenario that is an okay thing to do. She was hoping to get some sliver of. <laughs> That's why uh, we're cops and not psychologists. Yeah, exactly. She was hoping to get some sliver of. Uh, I, I, I'd take it as weakness for me, but I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. So well, I made it though. The other thing, though, too, is yeah, by the time you were 18, you had seen more. I mean, talking about PTSD, but by the 18, by 18, you had seen more traumatic things and more things that could have damaged your psyche than most adults have by age 50, you know? And yeah, we were and talking I, about some of this, Murph, about what the average adult sees versus what a cop sees. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what she, I, I appreciate what she was getting at. And it kind of brought in all my uh, education, up, you know, at, at Idaho State on all the classes I took under the social work umbrella of... Um, uh, and and it's it's weird. It, it leads into what we learned, and uniquely, I think it was only my class that might have went through it. Maybe a couple classes of the emotional intelligence, uh, which I use now for the mental health aspect. Is if you don't see and you don't have enough emotional intelligence to see how you're affected by things or telltale signs of things that might be affecting you, you're you're at a you're at a disadvantage, you know, so you have to, um, you have to build up that emotional intelligence about yourself. Uh, and ultimately it's just like putting on the air mask in the airplane, you know, you, you put it on you first so you can help somebody else. Uh, you've got to see where your deficiencies are, uh, and what you need to work on in order to go out and help people in their worst crisis or, you know, emotional state, uh, on a daily basis. So that's a good analogy about the, the air mask. That's, that's very practical. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I mean, we've all been through it and, 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 you know, our, our law enforcement culture years ago taught us you had to be a tough guy. You just sucked it up and you compartmentalized whatever you saw and you didn't talk about it with anybody else. Cause that was a sign of weakness. But as you go along, you know, and your brain, <laughs> actually starts developing and you realize what bunch of crap that was to start with. Um, Absolutely. When my partner got shot, we never went to counseling. No. And, yeah. and, and, and our department down the road, but as that, I'm sorry, our, I'm sorry, our department ahead. does a good job of, of, of making that happen. But I, I've watched people um, just push away from that. Uh, even though it's, it's 
a very good counselor, very, and you know, it's free and it's, uh, um, it's discreet, but, um, just that stigma, like you're talking about, uh, especially coming up, you know, even my era, you know, but obviously well before that, that just was a no, no, you know, you just don't show that. And you see a lot of police agencies that have those little, those little caveats, you know, I mean, all the way down to, if you use a mic, you know, you're, you're, you're showing some type of weakness on your radio. If you use the radio in certain situations, I do it to this day where I never call for, you know, even if it's a code three situation, I, 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 I tend not to use that because I, I think I'm some tough guy. I mean, we all have these, you know, little restraints on us that, that could hurt us, you know, but too many guys walk around thinking they're 10 feet tall and bulletproof and, uh, you know, you know, and they're not, you know, it's just, but it's that perception. But I want to ask you a question though. You loved Palm Springs. It was 70. You had culture shock and, and obviously wearing a prison jacket into class didn't yeah. help you out getting started. <laughs> but why did you stay? I mean, you graduated. Why did you not go back and do probation and parole in California? What was it about Idaho that made you want to stay there? You know, my, uh, there was a couple of events that had happened that I remember were pretty prominent. And my, my mother, uh, was, uh, just absolutely worried about me, uh, coming back to California. And, and that, that was my goal. I was like, I'm getting out of here. The state's not for me. I'm not, I hate the cold. I'm not a snow person by any means. I don't, that was one of their, uh, I, I should have not picked Idaho state because one of their recruitment techniques was taking me, um, skiing and I had no ski gear. I had to dip into the um, lost and found bin to find a beanie and two mismatched gloves. <laughs> and I tried to go down that hill one time, fell on my back and two kids jumped over me with their you know little ski stuff on. I said, get me the hell off this hill before I go home now. Um, so that should have been a sign, but um, I, uh, <laughs> I, my mother told me, stay back, stay there, find something there. And I, I, it was, it was wisdom on her part to just push her son away to, to start something new somewhere else and not get stuck. Uh, Palm Springs in that Valley has a, a grip. It has a, it has a, um, familial, cursed grip a lot of times and can hold a lot of people there against their will or unbeknownst to them. Um, and you just get kind of caught up in that whole thing. Uh, I knew later on being a cop in that area where I grew up would be almost impossible. Um, so this was a new start. It was, you know, it was unfamiliar. Um, but my mother telling me stay back. I had an ex-girlfriend who, uh, ended up getting shot, holding her baby in a, in a drive-by. Uh, I had a, a partner of mine that we played football together, uh, got shot in the head in a, in a situation in Banning, California. Uh, he was, he was at, uh, going, getting ready to go to UCLA or was, uh, taking, that was before I had went to Idaho state. Um, I mean, just a couple of incidents where it was like, man, it, it just losing people. Um, it just that, just that pull down. So I, 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 I'm glad I did it. Took my mom's advice, uh, applied for some jobs. Uh, I wanted more of a city, um, wanted to get out of Pocatello. And so I, I applied for some stuff and, uh, probation wise in 
Salt Lake and, and Boise and, uh, Boise area. And, uh, I got, I got my law enforcement start with, uh, 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 probation and uh, juvenile probation chief, uh, Doug Brown, who is a mentor to me these, this day, uh, saw something in me and mentored me for the three years, three and a half years I worked juvenile probation and, um, really kind of guided my career and kicked me off. Your mom is a, a wise woman and she was looking out for her son. Yes. One of the wisest women. I'll yeah. tell you something about my mother. Um, wise, white as can be, um, going to the most respect from black people that I've ever seen because she stayed true to who she was. Um, I mean, I have great grandmothers, you know, big mamas, you know, that they call them, you know, my, my grandmother, uh, they left paragraphs in their eulogies when they died specifically about my mother, uh, and about her integrity, about her, uh, never wavering to be who she was. She was a white woman that loved a black man that had a, two black children, uh, and raised them the best she could on her own, uh, with all the narcotic dope, drug violence you can muster up and and she uh to this day well before she moved out of california our house in that secondary neighborhood i talked about um i'd have drug addicted crack addict cousins that would show up to my mom's house because they knew she was a beacon no matter what and you would look and go you know i'm getting ready to fight this person pull a gun on them if i need to and they simply wanted to see Michelle, my mother, uh, as a beacon because she just had that about her. So she, she, uh, that's a testament to just the in integrity that she held, uh, never, never wavering, never trying to assimilate, uh, never trying to overcompensate, you know, for having black children or being with a, you know, a black man or any stereotypical junk like that. She stayed who she was and garnered so much respect for it. So, wow. Wow. Somebody to look up to. Fantastic. Dang, man. Well, and the other thing, too, is back when she got married, interracial relationships, you know, California is probably a little bit more accepting of it, but that was still a tough thing to do back oh, when man, you were I, a kid. I got, man, I got stories for days, but that that's that that's a whole nother thing when I, because that was a, a controversy in and of itself. So, so my grandfather, my, my mother's father was a big um, union guy. Uh, he was, he was, uh, president of the, um, telephone, uh, union in California. And so, uh, the story is when he found out that my mother was pregnant, um, you know, she, nobody could speak her name, uh, and God love him. He, he's a, he's a great man. I just, this is just kind of a, kind of an anecdotal story, but, uh, there was a, uh, there was a hit put out on my, my father, uh, because he got my mother pregnant. And then once I was born, the hit was lifted, uh, because my grandfather saw like, you know, obviously there's a life here. Look at this life that was made. Uh, and he accepted my father and they, they, uh, even though my father had all the issues that he had, um, you know, my grandfather, you know, really kind of transformed that, but that's, yeah, that was the time we came up, you know, was, it was a hidden relationship. Uh, I mean, there were parts of my family that would not and could not speak my mother's name based on having a, uh, a relationship with a black man and having a, 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 a child with him. And, uh, and then being born, uh, 
some of that, a lot of that changed. Uh, and, and some people who were very hardened in regards to that, um, you know, changed some of their views. So it's, it's kind of a, kind of a cool thing to, you know, kind of study. That's what I'm saying. In spite of all of those things, here you are, we're talking with you later, you know, um, cop. So let's get into the cop part. So, uh, your friend talked to you into applying for Boise, said you should do this. So you had three years on in juvenile probation. Is that right? When you applied? Yeah, about a little over three years. And then, uh, then I did five years with the state with probation and parole. And, and that's when, I, those are the times I got into the gang work. So I started my kind of my gang career as a ju- juvenile PO working with gang members. And then I started a gang caseload at, um, probation and parole. The first one specific to, to, you know, uh, uh, supervising gang members. And then, so I was working close with a lot of those units. And then that's what kind of caught me pulled into, uh, actual police work. Well, once after the uh, psychologist realized you weren't as crazy as you seemed, did you get the job <laughs> offer? I got the job offer. Uh, and, uh, immediately because of, uh, just some of the people I'd worked with and, and knew, uh, and a uh, little reputation I had just in uh, the probation parole work I did, Kevin being one of them, I worked with him on a couple cases um, uh, in, as, a, as a probation parole officer. Um, I think I, I, I feel good about this. Uh, I, it, it, there was a team uh, that they were all involved with, Kevin was involved with, and, and some great guys were on and had gone through. And it was a, it's a team specific to the bars downtown. We have a pretty vibrant bar area uh, downtown. And so because everybody comes there because there's nothing else going on, uh, they created what's called a bar team. Back in the day, it used to be called the Hollywood team because everybody on that team looked like, you know, the picture of, Adonis, you know, I mean, you, you name it, the LAPD, the, the white t-shirt up, the LAPD blues, you know, the hard badges, uh, the, the haircuts, the, you know, everybody's yoked up and can put hands on everybody. Just, I mean, they had, they, they were the, to me, that was the ultimate team, you know, to kind of be involved. So when the, when I was coming out of the Academy, uh, you know, the captain gave me the nod and said, you ready to go to the bar team? I was like, shit, I was like, you might as well pick me to be, you know, on some high speed specialty military team. You know, I was like, hell yeah, I'm ready to do that. So, uh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> so yeah, we went to that. No, I'm a young officer, yeah. you know, good looking dude. I don't want to be hanging around bars with all sorts of good looking women. No, put me in bunny land somewhere North where there's nothing going on. I want to work midnights <laughs> all by myself. I, uh, the, that is the secondary piece of it. There are obviously uh, very pretty women down there and the uniform will make any ugly dude look very good. But, uh, what uh, did I say yesterday? Murph? <laughs> one of my, one of my lessons to recruits and FD, you know, doing FDO stuff and training. I said, guys, remember chicks dig guys, ugly guys in uniform too i said don't let don't don't let it fool you yeah, there don't is, ever let that you're not you special back. man if kevin holtry can make the uniform uh work then anybody can <laughs> <laughs> well we'll let kevin know yeah thank yes. you yeah i'm, sure I'm pretty sure know. kevin's gonna listen to this interview <laughs> so what year did you get on boise and remember that's the lesson we learned it's like we talked to the guys so if john mattingly um was involved in the Breonna Taylor shootout in Louisville, but there's only you, there, there's only ways uh, to pronounce things like Louisville. It's not Louisville, and it's not Boise. Yeah. It's not Boise. Yeah. yeah, it's I, not been, Louisville either. So, 
I, I, I've, um, I've broken that rule many a times. I've, uh, yeah, Boise, uh, I, I do use the Z a lot, but, uh, I got on in 2003. All right. So this is about, uh, 15, uh, you know, this is about 12 years, uh, 13 years. I'm sorry, before the shooting happened, right? Cause that happened in 2016. Yes. So. Yeah, so for that 13 years, because we want to start working towards the event now. So for that 13 years, what kind of uh, what kind of roles did you take on in the department? What kind of assignments did you have? So I, I sold in pretty good on that bar team, and that became kind of my um, majority of my um, focus on patrol because uh, it offered everything. Like you had, you know, we'd go out and we'd handle calls, but you end up going on a what's called a directed patrol. Uh, the downtown cruise is, is big. So we'd, we'd deal with downtown cruise issues. Uh, there were gang issues down there because of certain areas and, you know, the cruise aspect. Um, and then you, then you'd go out on a foot beat, uh, and deal with people in, in the bar area. So you got drunk people, uh, fights, um, uh, I, I mean, I got into a lot of capers down there, uh, was able to do and home in on a lot of good physical skills because, you know, people always wanted to kind of go that route. And so um, that was kind of my focus. And then uh, I had a track, though, and my track was I, there were two things I was going to do in my career. And that was going to be I was going to go to the SWAT team uh, and I was going to get on the gang unit. And so in my time in patrol, about five years uh, which that to me is the minimum. I wanted that to be the minimum. I, I, I think that's, you get a rounded view doing patrol tactics, uh, and learning patrol tactics, hot calls, things like that for five years before you start thinking about other specialties. Uh, but, but the SWAT team as early as I could get on was three years. Uh, I wanted to get on that as soon as possible. And I'd done some prep work with probation and parole, worked with some other teams, allowed me to get in their stick do some clearing, uh, learn some techniques. So I was really trying to hone that in, uh, a big hot call taker when I was out on the, on the street, uh, because that was my goal is to get on there and, and test for, uh, what we call SOU, uh, special operations unit, um, at Boise. Uh, and then subsequently when I got put in my, my appropriate patrol time, I wanted to get into the gang unit, which was a detective position. Um, and, uh, and those both came to fruition. I, I, you know, thank God I was able to test for SOU. Um, uh, got on in 06 uh, and put in almost 15 years uh, before my body gave out on me. But um, that, that was my first thing. And then got in the gang unit in 2009. What did you say gave out on you? I'm sorry I missed that part. My body. Uh, I... I I'm I'm 50 years old and I got two fake knees and a fake hip. So, uh, as they say, you've been road hard, put away wet, eh? <laughs> My wife would say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it that voice that does it? Come here, honey. Come hey, here. you got to use everything you can at this age. You know that. <laughs> got to use all your tools, man. It's <laughs> exactly. oh, a gift. It's a gift, brother. <laughs> all right. So, uh, but that was Nirvana for you, right? Once you hit the gang unit, once you hit the SWAT unit. So what was what was a typical like week for you? What kind of stuff? How how often were you getting called out on SWAT and what kind of stuff were you doing on the gang stuff? You know, it was it was funny. I've been through a couple regimes on the SWAT during my time on the SWAT team. Uh we had some good periods where we were really getting called out and, you know, had some you know, a couple shootings we're involved with and uh not that those are 
you know, good, but uh, obviously our tactics were great. Our, 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 our camaraderie, our team, you know, uh, our support. Uh, and then we hit a, a rough patch with um, a certain administration that um, kind of just got very, um, I don't know, I guess the word is woke these days, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, what our, what our SWAT pins look like and what they represent or, you know. When you what, say administration, are you talking about Police administration, city administration, state government, federal. Which what? What do you mean by administration? At that at that time, it was uh, police administration. So it was kind of trickling down of um, you know the look of things and and how SWAT looked, you know, and uh, even though we were effective and um, and well trained, I mean, I'd put our team. Jeez, man, we we. We we were a group, very good team, uh, and, and and still are. But I, I remember the height of our, you know, some of the, the guys we had on that team. I would put them against anybody in the Northwest. Uh, I mean, we we had we had a great team. So, um, so you know, I think our callouts dwindled. I think we were in the forties when I started. When dwindled down to like twenty five thirty a year. You know, um, very very. Uh, at times we should have gotten called out. We didn't. So it, that got demoralizing. You know, if you're a, I always put it this way and Kevin can attest, you know, I, I equated to, and maybe this isn't the greatest analogy, but you know, you're a meat eater, you know, you're, you're, you're an action hound. You're, you, you want to put your skills to test. If all you're doing is training and you're not putting that to work. Uh, you know, you start to get antsy, you start to get, um, irritated, you know, and, and, uh, and, and the guys that take the most of it are your guys that you're training with, you know, month in, month out. So, uh, so that, that got, um, that dealing with those ups and downs was, 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 um, frustrating, but, but I, man, that, that, that's the, that's my life. I mean, it's tattooed on my body that that's my team forever. Uh, and then I'm doing gang work. And so I'm trying to drum up work, uh, for, the team and was a hey, real to quick do that. question on your on your SWAT team um, was that callouts for like crimes and and situations or was was that more warrant related were you guys just the tip of the spear for warrants for narcotics or dope or other stuff uh, in the beginning uh, most of it uh, yeah it's it's a warrant service high risk warrant service um, uh, high risk calls so call out procedures and then. Um, things that might make it up, uh, dig, dig, dignitary protection type stuff. And those things that would all make up, you know, our call out situation. Uh, things have changed in the time since I've right before I got off the team, actually now it's everything's, you know, warrant services come down to surround and call out and, you know, nobody goes in the building hardly these days. So it's, it's, uh, it's changed a lot. Condor gentler law enforcement it seems that way it seems that way and it's uh but some of it i understand um there have been times when you know you you make a decision to go into a building and you go you know what is this for and why is not you know we're trying to get 10 pounds of dope and i'm gonna i'm gonna get smoke coming in the doorway you know that's that's stuff you start thinking about as you get older and start putting your tactical mind uh, you know, when I've started, uh, I'm a breacher, mechanical, ballistic breacher. I mean, you give me a door, a wall, it's it's getting demolished. I mean, that was my thing, you know, um, and and it didn't matter. I, I don't care what the mission is. Let's, let, I'm getting you in this door, you know. Um, you know, you get older and you start having, you know, people 
kind of underneath you and you're, you're a pseudo leader, team leader. Um, you start putting your mind on those things going, eh, there's a smarter way to do some of these things. So I get some of it, but just like anything else in law enforcement, we tend to go way hard the other way. <laughs> and and uh, there's no like tactical look at, you know, easing up to those things. Man, well, that kind of that kind of sets the stage for what we're talking about here too. Because let's let's start leading into uh, you know 2016 and the shooting with Kevin. What kind of unit were you? What what kind of work were you doing at that time? So I was a, a gang detective. Um, been doing. Uh, been I was working with ATF, um, doing some pretty good cases. I think at that time I was in the middle of a. Um, an OSADEF case and organized crime drug enforcement task force case, uh, with, uh, ATF and DEA. Uh, and we were kind of in the middle or towards the end of, um, we had like a 30 person, uh, investigation we were doing into the, um, Southside gang or a couple Southside gangs that were distributing a bunch of uh, narcotics and guns throughout the Southern part of the state. And, um, so I was deep in that. And on the SWAT team, uh, lead breacher. And, uh, you know, this day comes up where a known gang member that we, that myself and my ATF partner had interviewed uh, a little bit before this, um, real violent guy uh, on some gun charges and uh, violent crime he did. And uh, we saw at that time when we interviewed him that he just had this, look, you know, he, he just didn't give a shit about anything. Um, and then lo and behold, it comes up where he goes on this, uh, violent crime spree, uh, and everybody's looking for him. How, how long after your interview did this piece of shit go on that crime spree? Cause if I remember right, he killed two people during this, uh, this spree. He shot, uh, he shot three people if I'm not mistaken. I don't think, uh, they got, they were killed. One was paralyzed uh, and then she ended up killing herself, uh, based on her situation. Um, uh, but I, I, if I'd have to think back, I want to say it was within the year that we had interviewed him. Um, and he had went back. This is, and, and I know Kevin probably touched on this. This is the, you know, the, the, uh, kind of the corrections reform era where guys were only being looked at for the top kind of their their pen, their current charge and their entire jacket wasn't being looked at that he's he was a product of that he was in for i think grand theft by possession or something uh and had gone back um for that uh and was released uh based on it was a property crime but his record was you know aggravated battery aggravated assault you know trafficking firearms you name it gang um uh documented gang member, violent gang member. Um, and so all that stuff. Kind Do you of remember just which gang? Just, uh, yeah. We have a gang in, in our area. It's, um, uh, prison driven, but has some, uh, has uh, community ties and it's mainly, uh, Boise garden city, a little bit of Meridian, uh, that Metro area of Boise is called Southside Clica. Um, it's a, uh, what they call Sureño gang. Um, Sureños come out of Southern California originally, um, kind of run by the Mexican mafia. Um, and <clears throat> they are a derivative of that. Uh, but they, they hand, they kind of pick and recruit from, 
the Boise metro area and then represent in prison um, as a part of a, a multi, what they call kind of the, they used to call it the Mesa, the table, because uh, the Southside Sureños are the biggest gang in our state, but they're broken up into a bunch of different cliques. And so inside prison, they kind of come together as a council to, to make decisions, you know, uh, who does a hit here, who's got the best, you know, dope coming in, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so they were part of that, that council. Yeah, that we were talking to because I remember I was out in California with uh, some cops and stuff doing stuff, but they had just pressed, I think it was called Prop 234, but that's where they were letting all of the people out of prison. Yep. Just letting everybody go, not putting them in jail. I mean, it got to save money. And this is the kind of stuff that happens. Uh, Murph, you had your hand raised. You got a yeah, problem. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting ready to go off here because okay. it, it blows my mind that the criminal justice system is not looking at their past record to make a determination whether they're safe to be out in the community. And I think Kevin had told us. If they had not let that guy out, he would he would have been in prison until twenty twenty six. Does that sound right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, he would have been and down. And Kevin wouldn't be he wouldn't be in the boat he's in now. We probably wouldn't be doing these interviews. No, no, and um, it's just that. I mean, that's uh, that's dereliction of duty there. It, it is it, when you really think. And and again, I come from the Department of Corrections. You know, the field services part. Um, and, but I've done a lot of. You know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a gang expert in our area. I testify as a gang expert in, in both our district courts here and federal court. And, um, it just, you're right. The, the due process to the community, I mean, you know, put us in the community as well as, as protecting the community, but to the community that you would not, uh, use this person's background and especially when you look at i always look at you know on the tactic side of things time and distance right um if if i'm gonna uh if i'm gonna approach a house and there's gunshots what's my time and distance before that's not an active situation same thing here what's the time and distance of this person's actions as a as a as a violent uh person also as a gang member are those continuing actions that you know, we're going to still have to deal with, or is there a period of time where there hasn't been anything? Uh, I, I, as much as I've done gang work and put people in prison, federal prison, you name it. Um, I, I have very close people to me who have, I've vetted that they have changed their life. And th these are hardened stone cold killers who have, who have, I have vetted that they have changed their life time and distance. They have utilized the time and created the distance to be a, a new person. So it can happen. Uh, but a reasonable person standard, which we're all, you know, uh, laden to is in a situation like this to save a dollar. Um, it, it, it causes people to lose, lose their livelihood. Yeah. And, and their lives. Yes. Yeah. And then we're seeing that, uh, obviously, you know, I'll be at a funeral tomorrow for that. So. Well, let's 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 start getting into this. Let's talk about that day because this so this piece of shit. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. You saw the red flags. You saw. I mean, the, the lights are blinking on this guy. You know something's going to happen. You just don't know when. But then something happened. So let's let's talk about that day. Um, what were you doing that day before this? Before things started happening? Before the call came out? <laughs> yeah, that was that was interesting. It was a uh, obviously Veterans Day in November, but it was a beautiful day. Um, 70s i think um 
And me and my wife, we both ride uh, motorcycles and uh, we went out and met my ATF partner, um, was off that day and uh, went up to his little area in Boise, um, kind of a satellite downtown area called Hyde Park, beautiful area, rode up there and had some food and literally was just about to put a nice uh, IPA up to my lips and, and got the call out of uh and again well hold on a second i gotta dispute something there is no such thing as a nice ipa i mean you drink i I can't believe you drink ipa come on (laughs) so kevin always gives me hell he always goes where's my black friend he always asks that question because i drink ipas (laughs) (laughs) oh my god he said he can't believe this interview's over ever ever since i camped for the first time, bought a cabin in the woods, uh, and decided to start possibly hunting and drink IPAs. He every day he goes. I always question where my black friend went. <laughs> I have to hear it from him all the time. Um, no, I, so IPAs. My taste buds changed. I was a PBR. I grew up drinking 40, 40 ounces of OE. I mean, that's, that tells you something there. The cold forties uh, and stuff. Yeah. 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 Tipping them back. Uh, but something changed as you, you know, I got a little older, you know, you start liking certain vegetables now and, you know, and IPAs started to taste good. Me and Kevin drink IPAs together. Matter of fact, at that very place I was at, that used to be our thing. Um, where we tip back some fresh squeeze and, you know, Good, good beer, but I couldn't couldn't oh, enjoy man. it. You know, you know what it. this means. You know what this means, Brian. You're growing up. No, <laughs> exactly. no. we never grow up. <laughs> I don't live in a box anymore. <laughs> I got a I got a commercial beer fridge in my basement loaded with fine Belgian beers. You need to you need to come come to the dark side with me. BelgianStyleAles.com. There's a free commercial for them. BelgianStyleAles.com. Get yourself sleep. some real beer made by people who've been making beer for centuries. <laughs> don't sleep on me just yet. Me and my, one of my, he's like a brother to me. We drink beer together and it, we toggle between the IPAs and the stout. And then we, it, and then you mix them at the end. I mean, it's, it's a weird deal, but I, <laughs> oh it, no. Oh yeah. Try it. Give it a shot. Give it a shot. I can't. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. Okay, Murph. The rest of this time is yours. What, this, 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 this is heresy. Well, this is a violation against the laws of man. Oh my God. Here's the other thing you need to know about Morgan Brown, and and that is he wears Tommy Bahama. Now, do I need to say more? No, hey, you do. It not. Explains That's, it all. Doesn't yeah. That, there we go. <laughs> Talk about bougie. Everything man. I own is pretty much Tommy Bahama. Yeah, that's right, man. I can do it, but I still got all my hair. All you, right. you know what? I so give you, you were respect back, for that. Yeah, yeah. Right, I got the cable here. Hey, anyway, so let's get it, but let's get to the serious part now, though. So you're just putting a IPA to your lips. Thankfully, it didn't touch it, but what went off? A pager, an alert? You get a message, yeah, a call? What yeah. happened? We, uh, I, I, damn, I wish we had to pay. I missed the pagers, but no, we all went to our cell phones. And so you, you got a, you know, a command, uh, or a team. Uh, text alert uh, that uh, obviously for the last week or two, we had been look about last week, we've been looking for this dude. Um, I had prior knowledge where he, you know, we had uh, done some investigations. I'd been searching on the gang side for him. Uh, multiple people have been seeing him off duty officers ends up uh, noticing him in the vehicle uh, that he carjacked at gunpoint. Um, and so chase was on. Patrol does an awesome job locking him down into a neighborhood of about nine houses, older neighborhood, um, after a, a pursuit. 
And, uh, and so we get the, the text. I'm on the other side of the world. So I live from the center of Boise. I live about 20 miles away. And so I'm in, I'm on the, you know, downtown side. So I'm about, and, and, you know, it's traffic and things like that. So I have to hustle to get to a, a city just outside of Boise to go get all my stuff, my vehicle, everything. So I was going to more than likely be the last one there. Um, so I get on the bike, I boogie it, uh, to the house, uh, get, get kitted up, uh, get on the radio, uh, figure out where our, you know, tactical command is going to be. And I land there. Team has already gone forward, uh, to start now with a hasty plan of a, um, yard to yard search of those nine houses, uh, clockwise position, um, based on last known location uh, for him. Real quick, let's stop there for a second and ask you. So, because I think Kevin mentioned this too, you guys didn't have any take-home vehicles, right? A SWAT, y'all had to go somewhere. I mean, you might have your kit and stuff get all jocked up, but you had to go somewhere to get a vehicle or did you take a, a POV or a, something else to the scene? Yeah, that, that was an unfortunate part about our team is um, a lot of good equipment um, and you were kind of stuck in putting it in your uh, your POV. Um, I was fortunate, uh, like some of the other guys on the team, I was, I had a take home, uh, detective car, uh, undercover ride. Um, so, um, I was, I had, that's where everything was kept, uh, for me, uh, secured in my, in my vehicle. So I had to hustle all the way home and then hustle all the way back to that call. Uh, and so, so yeah, I had a detective car. Uh, I was kitted up, had my stuff jumped out the, 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 Tactical Operations Command, um, got my rifle on, strapped my helmet on, got ready to go, and uh, waited with my sergeant, who's uh, one of the best sergeants we had, uh, Sergeant Rogers, and the lieutenant, and uh, asked him what he wanted me to do. And he said, I want you to go uh, stack up with the team. They had just finished the initial house or yard where he had land the suspect had landed and they were going to a secondary house excuse me it was a counterclockwise search um going to a house just to the south of it and that's where i picked up and got at the back of the stack tell everybody real quick you mentioned it, it's a term of art we kind of understand it but when you said you stacked up with the team let people know from like a swat standpoint when you guys you guys you stacked up and you're doing this kind of describe people what we're if they were looking at it what they would be saying so you, you got a line of, uh, of guys, obviously in tactical gear, um, picking up areas of responsibilities, literally in a line, sometimes, a, uh, another, uh, line next to it. So we'll call it double stack, depending on the configuration. Um, you have, uh, positions interwoven, uh, in that. So you have a team leader, uh, that's directing, uh, uh, you know, directions of travel, um, you have a, a canine that's inter interwoven in that, and you have canine cover. You have breachers uh, interwoven in that. So if we uh, approach a door or a uh, some something that needs to be breached, then that those those people will go forward uh, with cover breach. And then you got your points who are kind of leading the 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 snake, uh, you know, to kind of cover this area and get it adequately searched with the help of a canine uh, to see if we can find the suspect.
Hey, players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out, as always, on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two. 